Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Which we live, you know, some people are vegan, some people are vegetarian, but I think the thing we all can agree on is, you know, fruit's good, right? We all like fruit, and I'm, I'm a fan of fruit. It's awesome because it's sweet, right? Is there any fruit that's not really not sweet that you can think of? What's that? Lemons, yeah, and we don't really like them as much, right? Why do we like lemons? Get sugar to them, right? And then all of a sudden we like lemons. Now we're now we'll get some lemonade. The the question that I have though is that you know how is fruit produced? Where do you get fruit from? Trees. Uh, no one said Publix. I appreciate that. Um, so you you get fruit from trees. From it's uh, I, I, one of the things I like to say. It's from the earth, right? But it. It takes, it takes uh, some certain circumstances. What are some things that you need to have fruit? You need soil, water, sun, weather. You know, circumstances have to be correct because if you were to hand me uh, an orange peel or an orange seed, see, I don't know anything about agriculture, and I were to put it in the ground, I would just kind of stand over and go, come on, and it wouldn't grow. You need to have the right circumstances for that to happen. Paul's going to discuss some fruit this morning in Galatians chapter 5, if you can flip there. Remember, what he's been doing is he's been attacking this argument that's going on. So remember the context of the situation, right? The group of churches in Galatia, right? This is the area that's now considered Turkey, right? So is this one body or is this multiple bodies? Multiple bodies, absolutely, okay. And the problem that he had was, after he left and had set up some churches, you had these folks, they called them the Judaizers, right? They came in, and where did they come from? You guys remember what city? Jerusalem, right? So they came in from Jerusalem, so what they're, they're Jewish folks who have now you know, accepted Christ, but they misunderstood the gospel, the gospel is that Jesus plus what equals salvation? Nothing. Nothing on that piece, of, nothing on that slide, no amount of money, no amount of service, no amount of giving, nothing will give you salvation plus Jesus. It's Jesus, period. That's where salvation comes from. So the issue that you have that Paul is dealing with in Galatians, remember, is that he is writing to a church, a group of churches, that these Judaizers have come in and said, hey, Paul watered down the gospel. Paul tried to make it too easy for you. Yes, Jesus paid for your sins, but you, even though you're Gentiles, you have to live like us Jews. That's the problem. And Paul is dealing with that because remember the whole issue. If, if they can be thinking about something else being added to their salvation, then in their mind, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't sufficient. And if his sacrifice wasn't sufficient, we got a big problem. That's why Paul's writing with such fervor to them. Let's get some key definitions before we jump in. Freedom, according to the world, is the power to act or the right 
or act, speak or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. That's a definition from Webster. Okay, so that's what we would define freedom in a worldly sense. Freedom in a biblical worldview is a little bit different. It's being capable of serving and pleasing God. That's what freedom is. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. You, church, are now free from the bondage of sin. You may now please God. He has called you to walk with Him, and you may now please Him in the way that you were called to because you are free. Can we get an amen to the fact that we're free from sin? That's pretty exciting. It's kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, woo! Thank you. Appreciate that. So let, let's jump to the key principle. The free in Christ are now capable of pleasing God by walking with the Spirit. Do you see all of the parts of God represented within that truth? God the Father, we are now able to please Him, and we're able to please Him because of what Jesus has done. Jesus' work, we have salvation. And we may please Him by following the Holy Spirit that inhabits our very lives that He promised us. It's kind of exciting. I'm kind of fired up. You guys fired up? That was really sad. You guys fired up? Yeah, let's get excited. All right, this is going to be awesome. So uh, flip over to Galatians 5 for me. Well, the first section we're going to read is verses 1 through 12, and we're going to jump in that right now. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are served, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is some very powerful language that Paul's writing with here. So, before we get into the, 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 the meat of the passage, he kind of puts an end cap on this atonement argument, right? Remember where we've been, going through one, two, three, and four. This issue of justification, which is what? Being righteous before God, right? I've, I'm found God. I'm with God. I'm justified before God. And then you have sanctification, which is following God. We cannot mix the two. If we turn following God into finding God, then it's about works. And then it's about my performance. Does that make sense? So he makes this one final uh, thought about the atonement system. Verse 1, you were called to freedom. The bondage is over. We already talked about that. Justification comes from Christ, not the law. The persuasion you're facing did not come from God. That's very important. Do you remember what he said about an angel from chapter 1? If an angel came and preached a gospel different, that, that angel would be accursed. 
I trust God, but have great disgust for those that are working against him. That's what Paul is saying there. The word emasculate is castration, guys. That's what he's saying. He literally wrote that in a letter to a group of churches. I wish that they would castrate themselves. Could you imagine if a church leader wrote that today? Right? Let's just seriously. I'm not trying to be silly here. I'm being serious. That's how big a deal this was. This is Paul, okay? This is the guy who was just beaten and, and busted up over and over and over again for this gospel. And he is writing to them and saying, I wish they would literally cut themselves because they're not preaching the actual gospel. Their persuasion is not coming from God. You see it, right? He's making this final thought about this before he moves into the part of the passage that we've probably all heard before. Notice that he says a little leaven leavens the entire lump. You tweak things a little bit, right? That whole one bad apple spoil the whole bunch kind of thing. What he's saying is if you allow this in, it's an incredible problem. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You guys feel free? You feel like you're free from the bondage of sin? Because if you don't, you are. If you've accepted Christ, you're free from the bondage of sin. That's an incredibly encouraging message. Please feel encouraged by that. Because the God of the universe kind of said he paid for you. He said, I love you. I know what you've done. I know what you're going to do. I paid for you anyway because I love you that much and I'm that great. That's what he said. And then he proceeded to pay for us through Jesus. It's incredibly, incredibly encouraging. So now let's get into the rest of the passage beginning in verse 13. You, what we're going to see is five principles of the fruitful gospel. First one you see is in verse 13. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Here's the idea. Once justified, justified means I'm now righteous before God, right? Once I now have accepted Christ, I now am right with God, the believer is free from the sin of the flesh. You are free from sin. On the count of three, I want everyone in the room to say, I am free from sin. One, two, three. Now that does not mean that we're not going to sin. We're still going to stub our toes and you know, do something boneheaded. That's going to happen, but we are free from the bondage of it. Christ has paid for it all. We are justified before the God of the universe. Yes! That's so exciting. Believers are now free to meet the needs of their local church body. Look at what he says here. Once, for you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He says, Christ paid for every sin you'll ever commit. There's nothing you can do that will make your, your relationship with Christ null and void. He paid for it all. Okay, You've accepted Christ, you're a Christ follower, he's paid for you. But don't use that as a license to do whatever the heck you want now. Don't do that. Actually, do the opposite. Live in faith, walk in faith, and what he says is, serve one another, love one another. Remember the biblical definition of love, right? Meeting a need because there is a need without expecting anything in return. Who's the one another? 
the other people in the body. Guys, we've said it about four times already this morning, but I'm going to say it a lot. We are free to meet the needs of one another as a body because we're free from bondage of sin. We're a body of Christ here in this room, and I am free to love you the way that God has called me to love you. Doesn't mean we're always going to get along. And quite frankly, a lot of times I'm boneheaded and I do and say dumb things. But I am free to love you to meet a need that you have because there's a need without accepting or without expecting anything in return. You're free for that too. That's what this is supposed to be. We are free. Now, most of the people in this room, who has kids that are grown up? I say grown up, I mean like, you know, 18. You've kicked them out of the house. They're out, right? Yeah, <laughs> she's like, she's like ah, I got one. So a child grows up and leaves the house, right? So the kid's gone. The relationship changes, right? I mean, Sarah and I, we, don't, we have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. This is my assumption. If I say anything crazy, just look at me funny. Kid leaves the house, right? Your relationship changes. The child then has an opportunity to make you proud in a whole new way. Would you agree that that's true? You can then look at their life because you've set up guidelines. You've set up ground rules. You've raised them in the way, in the way that you thought you should. You, this, this is the way that I've raised my son or daughter. But now they're out of the house. They now have an opportunity to walk with Christ. Hopefully that's, that's the home that, that uh, we were able to raise them in, right? But they're respectful. They're honest. And you get to watch their life and you get to say, you know what? That's special. That's a different, different level of relationship. It's different now. Our interaction with God is similar to that. And what I mean by that is, he had this system of the law that created guidelines that pointed us to give us an idea of what would honor him and what he valued. The law itself was not gone. Remember, if you were a Jew, you were still to live under the law. Not the law of atonement. Sacrifices need not happen anymore. Christ paid for everything, but they still needed to live under the law. But the argument Paul is making here now is the law is gone and we are free to honor God. Just like a child who's now out on his or her own is free to honor you in a way that they weren't able to honor you before. It's a different thing. So how are you doing with your freedom in Christ? How are you doing with it? Do you feel free? Because if you don't, please feel free. Because you're free. It's kind of a big deal. You're free to meet the needs of the local body. Because you're part of the local body. Because he's called you to. There's a lot of us in this room that have nothing in common except for the God who saved us. And that's enough. We are separated by age, by generation, by, I mean, location, by, I mean, Ocala, everything is 45 minutes away. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, right? But we're free to meet the needs of one another and to bond with one another in freedom because he, he said we can't. Pretty exciting stuff. The second point I call the Brady Brunch principle. You see this in verses 12 through 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. This is verse 14. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
Believers are called to love, and let me add a word here, not necessarily like one another, right? I mean, hopefully we like each other, but not necessarily. We're called to love one another. The heart of the law was to get along with God and each other. It was created to make life better. What's the Brady Bunch? What was that? What what TV show? Break it down for me. I was born in 1984. It was already off the air. Yeah, two families. One of them had like a million kids, and the other one had a million kids, right? I'm just kidding. But two separate families, they came together, and now they're a family all together, right? And I'm assuming everything always went great, right? No, no. They had that one thing where the girl got hit with the ball, broke her nose, right? I know that episode. The point here is that we as a body, we're a lot like that. We're bonded together. We're brought together, and the, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But notice he doesn't stop there. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Because I'm called to love you, you're called to love me, but I'm me and you're you. And sometimes that hurts. Again, I say and do boneheaded things. Sometimes you guys do too. Right? Which is just kind of part of the deal but we're bound together and he loves us and he said we're free to follow him with one another so I got to ask a direct question how are you doing with love in the body how are we doing with that are, are, are you meeting the needs of the body not expecting anything in return now here's what's interesting we're a very small body we're part of this thing Grace Church of Ocala and what God's doing here and the relaunch of this church and we're a year into this and figuring out what this looks like but I got to tell you, it's, this is exciting because I don't know if you guys realize it, but we're kind of, we're, I think we're on the precipice of something here. Like something's about to happen. You can see the foundation built for what God can use this body for. And it's not as if he's not using the body now. He is. But I think we're kind of prepared for where he's going to take us. I'm excited about that. And we have the opportunity to practice those gifts now of loving one another now, of meeting each other's needs now. Because if the Lord is gracious enough and the Lord's kind enough where more people come to the grace, to Grace Church of Ocala, to this body, if we don't figure it out now, it's going to be a lot harder to figure it out if there's more people. Right? Just kind of, it's just kind of numbers. It's how that works. So let's, let's love one another. Let's meet each other's needs. Next thing. I call it the opposition principle. Now, here's where it gets a little bit more direct. Verses 16 and 17. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The point here is that walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh are contradictory. To one another. They're absolutely opposite things. Pastor Randy had a quote that I really liked here. The spirit-led life is a disciplined life. Now, what he's saying here is, you make a choice. Remember, we've accepted Christ. We know who God is. We are justified before the God of the universe, right? We know, God knows us. God has paid for our sin. We are free to walk with him. But that doesn't mean we always choose to walk with him. 
We don't always walk in the Spirit. We don't always listen to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we choose the flesh. And the point that he's making here is those two things are completely separate. I choose for myself, for the flesh, for what I want, or I choose for what God would have me do to bring honor and glory to him. The flesh wants to bring honor and glory to me. The Holy Spirit wants to bring honor and glory to God. Because remember the key principle, right? We are now free to, in Christ, honor the Father by following the Spirit. That's what He's allowed us to do. That's what He's given us the opportunity to do. Look at the motive of the two things. Flesh, the motive is self. Spirit, motive is God. Glorifying God. If a man passionately pursues loving his wife, it's a lot harder to fall into lust issues. Not saying that that can't still be a problem for men, but if he's passionately pursuing his wife, he's following the Spirit. It's a lot harder to go down the other path. If someone is passionately pursuing what the mission field that God has called them to being maybe their workplace, maybe where they live. It's a lot harder to fall into the self-focus of, I don't like going to work. I don't like the people I work with. I really wish I didn't have to do this. Because you're looking at it by the Spirit. You're following what God has directed you to, and God has directed you to actually love those people, to interact with those people. And they're not the church. If they've not accepted Christ, they're not the church. I want to be clear on that. But he has called us to take his gospel to them. We, we read that every Sunday. We will here in a moment. He's called us to take the church to them, to interact with them, to preach to them, to teach them, to baptize them. That's what he's called us to do. But please understand that everything God would have us do is in opposition of our default setting. Our default setting is us. Everything in the world that I do, I want to make about me. That's just kind of how it goes, right? We want to do what we want to do, how we want to do, when we want to do it. It's our time. This is me. The Spirit's different. It's a different path. It's a different motive, and it's completely opposite. So what desires are you following that are bringing satisfaction to yourself and not glory to God. Identify those right now. Take a moment and allow the God of the universe to inspect your life and say, what am I doing currently? What, what, what am I following in the flesh that is not bringing honor and glory to you, that I'm walking away in how you would have me walk, Father? Think about that for a second. Father, uh, we invite you right now. Um, Lord, we, we don't normally stop and pray in, in, in the middle of a sermon, Lord, but it's, it's important right now. This time is your time anyway. It's not ours. Lord, what is it in our lives that we are following after that brings satisfaction and glory to ourselves, to our own flesh? as opposed to what you would have us do in bringing honor and glory to you. Right here in this very moment, Lord, deal with that sin, please, because we can't. 
It's a hook in our heart that we can't remove because if we could, we would have already. You're God. We trust you. Lord, if we've accepted the sacrifice that is you, we're free. Help us to realize that. Thank you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Continuing on, uh, this next one I called the training wheels principle. You see this in verse 18, right? It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now remember, we've made this point. We've made this point for about six weeks. The law that he's talking about here, is this the dietary law? Or is this atonement law? He's talking about atonement law, right? The, the law itself is not gone. If you're, if you're a Jewish believer, you still are to live like a Jewish person because you're, you're kind of Jewish, right? It's kind of what he told you to do. But if you are a Gentile, you are to live in the way in which you're called. Your sanctification process is different. You're following of God. You're not under the law. So walking in the Spirit means making godly choices, the law set up to explain what those godly choices would be. It was literally the training wheels before the Holy Spirit, right? Now, it doesn't mean, again, that training wheels are off. There's no point in the law, right? We could just, ah, you know, that Old Testament thing, it'd be a good footstool. No, not at all. That's ridiculous what I just said. All of that still points us back to the God we serve. We studied in Leviticus this morning, and it highlighted what God is doing right now in all of our hearts. And he pointed it out to us. It's still valuable. It's still important. The atonement system is done away with, but that doesn't mean we don't learn about it. Because we can find out more about the God we serve by studying what he cares about. Now, you guys remember riding a bike with training wheels? Anybody remember that? I understand for some of us that's longer than others. I get that. How about your kids? Right? Remember that? Could you, like, maneuver around in training wheels? Like, I mean, could the kids just, like, really kind of tear it up and just get in and out of stuff? Could they do the slide thing, cool kid things do? You know, cool thing kids do, I should say. I use words. You remember that, right? Training wheels kind of lock in. You're kind of shaking a little bit when you ride. It's a little awkward, a little strange. But when the training wheels come off and the kids start to get it, they all of a sudden turn into evil Knievels, Right? Like, Max is nuts on a bicycle, and he went from scared to death, crying like a big baby all the time, to, I mean, sliding and tearing up tires and all kinds of stuff. The training wheels were off. He was free. The atonement system is done. It's done. No more sacrifices have to happen. Christ paid for all of our sin. We are free. We can follow the Spirit and do some amazingly crazy cool stuff. Not because of us, but because of the spirit that's within us. Because it's kind of God. It's a big deal. Why are we timid in the community in which we've called if the God of the universe is within us? I'm not saying this to you guys. I'm saying this to myself. This is, this is, why, do we, why do we allow that to be a barrier? The training wheels are off. We are free to follow him. Here's the issue. We're still not trusting. The training wheels kept us upright. With the training wheels off, I don't know if I really trust. 
I don't know if I want to slide my wheel out like that. I know it would be awesome, but I might fall. Do you see it? Do you hear it in your own head and your own heart? The God of the universe has never dropped one of us. It's never happened. Throughout all of human history, he's never dropped one of us. Stop thinking that it's going to be you. It's not. He's God. You're free. Now we move on to the deeds of the flesh. This is verse 19 through 21. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is really important. First off, he says they're obvious. Did you see that? They're evident. You see this stuff. The world in which we live now, it's not quite as evident. Some of these things are a little bit more prevalent now. And they can be hidden a little. Well, prevalent is probably the wrong word. They can be hidden better. Right? We live in a very open society unless you don't want to be open. And then you can kind of hide some stuff. Here's some key definitions. And we're going to move through these rather quickly, but make sure we understand what it is he's saying. The first one is immorality. The idea is self-pleasure, right? The word that, that, that this translates to is actually where pornography comes from. Okay? Illicit sexual activity. That's the idea when he says immorality. Impurity is unclean living. It's unbridled desire that hides in guilt, that wants the wrong thing. Think of the person who sits there, sins, and then just lives in the guilt. Sometimes we're in that place where we're just like, you're so hung up in your sin that you just dwell on the guilt, and guess what? You're not riding at all. You're not being fruitful at all. Because you're so hung up in your own guilt and your own mistrust of the God of the universe paying for our sins. The next one is sensuality. It's shameless hunger for self-fulfillment. I, I shamelessly desire to get what I want and make myself feel better. Idolatry, exactly what you think. Putting anything between you and your intimacy with God. Sorcery, this one's pretty interesting. It's the use of anesthetizing drugs, desire to feel high continuously. It's actually, uh, I believe the word's pharmakia. It's where we get pharmacy from or pharmaceutical drugs. So it's literally picking drugs and making them be the thing that's the focus. I always want to take something to drink something to make myself feel better. I have to feel high all the time. Continues with enmities. It's openly hostile, deep-seated hatred. This is the person that is just always frustrated, always agitated, and goes at people. Strife, wrangling, or fighting. We, we've all interacted with folks like this. We've all been folks like this, I think, at, time, at times. Jealousy, wanting what has not been given. We've all dealt with that. Outbursts of anger literally boiling over or blowing up, right? Dissensions, forcing a wedge in between people. If you have ever worked in any job, you know these folks. These are the people that will constantly try to create drama between two other people and watch it unfold. If any of that happens within the body, it's a big deal. That's a problem. 
Closing up with factions, your point is more important than the person. This is the person who wants to argue someone to Christ, and they're more effective in arguing, and they will tear someone down as opposed to actually present the gospel to them in love. They will make their point. It doesn't matter if the person agrees or not. I'm going to win the argument, and I don't care how you feel about it. That's, that's what we're dealing with here. He continues with carousing, late-night parties, debauchery, sexual sin. The big takeaway from all of this is it's all about self. You ever heard the term YOLO? You only live once. You only live once. Get, get it while you can. Get everything you can. It's all about me right now. Me, 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 self, self, self. Not God. That's what he's pointing out here. That's the deeds of the flesh. That's that path. Whenever we find ourselves on that path, we're fitting into one of these categories. We're, we're following after one of these things rather than actually listening to the Holy Spirit that he's granted us. doesn't end there, though. He continues with verse 24, or 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. What you see here, we, we talked about love earlier, right? Love is the meeting of a need because there's a need, expecting nothing in return. That's fruit. That's what comes out of following the Spirit. That's something we get to do, right? Joy is the assurance that God has not lost the ability or the desire to deal with my problems. I can walk in joy because I know who my God is. The problems that I'm dealing with in my life, He knows what they are. He has the ability to deal with them. If they're not being dealt with in the way that I would see fit, that's because He's dealing with them in the way that He sees fit. And his way is kind of a bigger deal than mine, right? Because he's God. It's kind of important. The next one is peace. It's rest due to knowing God is in control. Very similar to joy. Patience. The idea is distant, boiling. Long time to blow up. Okay? Takes me a long time to boil over. <laughs> Think of that pot that you turned on that didn't boil over for a day and a half, right? Long time to boil. Kindness. It's actually a potter's word for usable, in usable condition, not grumpy. You ever been too grumpy to be used by God? You're not following the spirit of kindness. Because you know what? Sometimes God can use you at 6 in the morning. But I don't get used at 6 in the morning because I'm me. You know what that is? I am me, flesh. Not the Spirit. Not walking with the God that we serve. He closes up with goodness. It's empowered by God to do God's stuff. I'm empowered by God. That's one of my favorite words in all of Scripture. Empowerment. Holy Spirit. It's kind of a big deal. Faithfulness. Living by God's vision. Gentleness. Meek, mild. Doesn't mean weak. It means strong under control. Okay? Just because you're gentle doesn't mean you're weak. Self-control, mastering my own desires. That's so hard. That is so difficult. 
There are my desires. I, me, want about me, not about the God I serve. Do you see it? Notice the contradiction of flesh, all about self, all about what I want, when I want, how I want, and spirit, all about bringing glory and honor to the God who saved me. Paul says you can walk in the spirit. Paul says you're called to walk in the spirit. And now that I've spent five and a half chapters, obviously he didn't think in chapters, he was writing a letter, but now that I've spent five and a half chapters explaining to you the idea of atonement and making sure you get this, it doesn't stop there. It continues with walking with God. Last point, I read verses 24 through 26. It's the diet and exercise principle, my least favorite principle in all of Scripture. Part of sanctification is removing the things that are of the flesh and exercising the things of the Spirit. Following God is a lifelong process and not an instant change. Very important we understand this. Justification, righteous before God, that is a change, that is eternal, that is it. Sanctification following God is a process. It's lifelong. I'm continuing in it. If there's anyone in this room that has completed the sanctification process, we're missing something. You're not done, because you're still here. Right? You die, you're before Christ, he tapped you out. Right? <laughs> okay? But right now we're still in our sanctification process. Dieting is removing the things of the flesh, right? And exercising is walking in the way of faith. Walking with the Holy Spirit to please God. Diet and exercise, I think it's, it's, really, it's really easy to make that application there. So where are you at in the sanctification process? Would you call yourself a spiritual infant? Maybe you've recently accepted Christ. Maybe you accepted Christ a long time ago, but you've not matured. You've kind of stayed there. Are you a spiritual adolescent? Now remember, this has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with your your maturity level in Christ. Where are you at? Remember adolescents, they do things for themselves. They focus a lot on themselves. But at times they don't. Where are you at? Are you a spiritual adult? Have you started making decisions that would bring honor and glory to God the majority of the time? Now here's the tension of this, guys. Remember, nothing that I just said makes you righteous before God. We're righteous before God because of his payment on the cross. We are righteous before him because of Jesus' blood. Remember the idea of atonement, right? We've covered this, right? Atonement before sacrifice happens, sin is covered over. Lumpy blanket, right? Christ's sacrifice, no covering over of sin, sin is washed away. It's completely cleansed. What we're talking about here is directly following God, walking with God, walking in the Spirit to please God the Father. So finally, in closing, why do you care? You're now free to praise or to please the God that created you because the bondage of sin is gone. We are free to bring pleasure to Him. We're, we're free to say at the end of the day, I brought honor and glory to God today. Because before Christ had paid for your sins, you weren't. You, you, you were not righteous before God. Now you are. You can follow Him today. 
This isn't a down-the-line thing. We can follow Christ today. Part of pleasing Him is loving the church that He died for. Now, I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about this property. I'm talking about Grace Church of Ocala, the body. I'm talking about the, the big C church is the term a lot of people use, right? He paid for the body. Understand there's a war between the fleshly desires of your body and the walk He has called you to. But he's greater than that. See that? He's greater than the desires you have. Trust him. Practice the loving actions he's called you to. Diet and exercise. Yay. Say diet and exercise. One, two, three. Diet and exercise. Yeah. You, now do me a favor. We're going to try something, okay? This is going to be a flesh versus spirit activity. We're going to say diet and exercise here again in a minute, but we're going to do it excitedly, not like diet and exercise. Okay? Flesh is diet and exercise. Spirit is diet and exercise. Okay? I'm going to do it because it brings honor and glory to the God that saved me. Okay? One, two, three. Diet and exercise. Right? That's pretty exciting. You guys are so awesome. You're now capable through Christ to please the God that paid for you. Let's do it together. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.